Nathan and Dodie, thank you so much for leading us uh, this morning. Andy is serving the Lord down in Ecuador today, and we're happy he's doing that, representing us well, and we thank you so much for leading us in worship today. Today we continue our message series in the epistle of the Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Our text today will be 8 to 23. I will read for us verse 20, Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you in these, in these pews. Please use one. They get a little lonely in there <laughs> next to the hymnals, you know. Uh, hear the word of the Lord, Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. If you have died with Christ, 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 let's say that word together, Christ, to the elementary principles of the world, the elementary principles of the world, the elementary principles of the world, let's say that together, the elementary principles of the world. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as dot, dot, dot. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you speak to your children through your word. And we come today, Lord, needing to hear from you. We need you to speak. We need a word from you more than we need bread, more than we need oxygen. And so, God, we come asking you to give us, indeed, eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask you to give us tender hearts that would receive your word like a seed planted in rich, fertile, and watered soil. We pray, God, that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. Lord, we pray that you make our frame strong, that our work in this world would be like your own. And God, we pray that a word of life and hope would be found on our lips. God, this is our prayer in the beautiful and the mighty name of Jesus. And we pray together saying, amen, amen. Friends, please be seated. Christ, the elemental principles of the word. Elementary. You have those two different words used for that, that phrase in verse 20. I like elementary. I like elementary because my wife is a kindergarten teacher. She's an elementary school teacher. And I think the best way to understand this word that's used here in verse 20 and up in verse 8, kind of a rare word, is to, is to understand it as the ABCs of life, ABCs of the world, particularly the world disconnected from the Lordship of Christ. The CEB translates this phrase, the way the world thinks and acts. The way the world thinks and acts. Uh, Paul contrasts your life buried and alive in Christ and the way the world thinks and acts. The ABCs of the world. ba 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 bomb. That's how the Jackson 5 began the song. ABC. Easy as what? One, two, three, do, re, mi. ABC, one, two, three, Do, re, mi. Those are the basic building blocks of language and song. 
and our number system. Helping Meredith set up her classroom, I mean, we put on the walls the numbers all the way to 20. <laughs> the numbers. <laughs> we put up the colors. We put up the ABCs. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Finish it with me. Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. If you have those, you can build any word in our language. And they learn the do, re, mis, too, as they learn to sing the alphabet and sing their numbers. This is the basic stuff of life. This is how we make sense of the world. A, B, C, one, two, three, do, re, mi. And the elementary principles of this world. There's all the various ways people put those pieces together and make sense of the world without Christ being in the center of it. Years ago, Unitarian minister Robert Fulger wrote a book, Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Well, he was both right and wrong. We need all of those basic ABCs, one, two, threes, and do, re, mis to make sense out of anything. But to make sense out of life, to make sense out of life, the primary reality and the thing we need the most it's Christ. It's Christ. But all of these different opportunities to live a life and make sense of it apart from Christ, they come at us. They come at us day after day, week after week, moment after moment. They come from on high. They bubble from beneath. They seep into the marrow of our bones, and they make good sense. Charles Taylor, the philosopher, said that we live by something called the social imaginary. We don't really have a, a thoroughgoing social theory, but we live by a social imaginary. And this is how he described it. He said, I want to speak of social imaginary here rather than social theory because there are important differences between the two. They are, in fact, several differences. I speak of imaginary because I'm talking about the way ordinary people imagine their social surroundings, and this is often not expressed in theoretical terms. It is carried in images, stories, legends, etc. But it is also the case that theory is often the possession of a small minority, an elite, whereas what is interesting in the social imaginary is that it is shared by large groups of people, if not the whole society. Which leads to a third difference. The social imaginary is that common understanding which makes possible practices and a widely shared sense of legitimacy. It's why we have intuitive and intuition about what is possible. This is the ABCs. The ABCs of the principles of the world. Certainly many times it begins with elite thought from up top and it trickles down into the world. When we began this, this series of sermons, I said that this is Nietzsche's moment. 
This is, this is Nietzsche's moment. Very few people read Nietzsche. But nowadays, nearly everybody thinks in Nietzschean ways. This idea that it's up to us to craft our identity and present it to the world, that it's up to us to transcend this, this stuff, the, the, to overcome the, or, or either to discredit any fixed givens, that it's up to us to make a life rather than it's up to us to discover the purpose and the meaning of life that is given to us by a benevolent creator. That's seeped into the soil and it's drawn up through the roots and it has become the A, B, C's principles of the world. Virtual reality is now equal to reality. And since we create that which is virtual, maybe just maybe we create that which is real. So Paul said there is Christ. And there is the way the world thinks and acts. And because we dwell in the midst of a social imaginary, we just live it out without really being aware of it. It's kind of like asking a carp to explain the water or a bass or a brim or a trout. Excuse me, trout, how's the water? I don't know, I just swim in it. A social imaginary is the world we swim in. And, and it, it affects us on each side and all around and it comes in and it goes out. And most of the time, most of the time we are unaware of the effects of the ABC principles of the world disconnected from Christ. We're just not aware of that. It's just, it's just stuff. It's just life. It's just how it happens. And little by little, piece by piece, the elementary spirits of this world begin to squeeze us into their mold and shape us and create us and form us and make us. It's happening now. It happened in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago. And in every community where Christ has been named in between. And so the warnings that Paul gives, they're warnings for us. And this is how he goes about it. He gives them three warnings and he gospels them again. You see, the gospel is not just for entering into the faith. It's for living the faith. It's for the beginning and the end and all of the things in the middle. He gives them warning number one, and he good newses them afresh. He reminds them of the gospel. And then he gives them two more warnings. And since that's the way he laid it out, that's the way I'm going to lay it out for us this morning. Warning number one, then the gospel, and then warning two and three. The first warning is in verse 8, and this is the warning, don't get kidnapped. Say that with me. Don't get kidnapped. Uh, let's go. I have the physique of someone that is hard to kidnap, uh, by the way. Let's read. See to it that there is no one who takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceptions in accordance with human tradition, in accordance with the elementary principles of the world, rather than in accordance with Christ. See to it 
that no one takes you captive. Because it's the water we swim in, we begin to think that the elementary principles of this world are benign or perhaps even helpful and that we can cut a deal and that we can peacefully coexist and everybody can get along and it can all be hunky-dory and we can have some measure of faith and we can proclaim some type of Christ and also get along with the spirit of the age, that the Holy Spirit and the zeitgeist can sit down to the table fellowship and it's all hunky-dory. And Paul goes, hold on, wait a second. If you have accepted this defanged version of the elementary spirits of the age, if you have come to think it's no big deal to do it like everybody does it that doesn't know Christ. He says, let me warn you, lest you're kidnapped. Is there any more horrifying word in the English language than kidnapped? Some of you have stayed up at night. Some of you have had recurring nightmares about this. The, the word can be used both for man-stealing and slavery and for what we know as kidnapping. 1 Timothy 1.10 says that man-stealing, slave trading, is, is contrary to sound doctrine. And those who are Christians should not be man-stealers, should not be slave traders. Hernando de Soto came to the part of the world I grew up in and saw Native American slaves toiling in the fields of Native American slave masters. Slavery wasn't invented in Europe. It's been around since the fall. As one man would steal another and turn that man or woman into a commodity. 1720, the French brought African slaves to Natchez. It's no big deal. Just get along to get along with the elementary principles of the age. He says it's slaving. It's man-stealing. Beware lest you are taken captive and kidnapping. So you have one that's just this massive social phenomenon, and you have one that's a, a personal horror, kidnapping. Years ago, somebody gave me a copy of The Shack and said, everybody's reading this, Pastor Matt. What is your opinion? Would you read this and tell me what you think? And I said, sure, I'll take it and I'll read it. Some of y'all have read that book. And it opens up with the kidnapping of a small child. And just like that guy on public radio, I read by the rule of 50. If, if after 50 pages, I can't do it, I just put the book aside. And after that kidnapping scene, I just couldn't read it. Too horrifying to me. Had small children, I didn't want to think about it. Just didn't want to think about that. When the movie came out, I didn't watch the movie, even though Octavia Spencer played the Holy Ghost. <laughs> now, that seems like a reason to watch a movie. That sounds kind of fascinating. I couldn't even watch the film because that concept of kidnapping was so horrifying. So horrifying. Often on Sunday morning, the Amber Alerts will go off because Sunday morning is one of the key times people take children. I've been in multiple worship services where those things pop, 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 pop. It's just a chill up my spine every time it happens. 
He says, okay, there's Christ. There's the elementary principles of the world. Those of you who are in Christ, beware, lest they take you captive. That's the first warning, and it's strong. And then verses 9 to 15, he gives them the good news all over again. He gospels them again. Let's hear the word of God. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete And he is the head over every ruler and authority. And in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision performed without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your wrongdoings and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our wrongdoings, having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Through him. He gives them a reminder of who Christ is and what Christ has done. He says, number one, he's fully divine. He's God. Now, this is orthodox Christian confession that Christ is God. He is the Lord. When Jesus stood and he says, before Abraham was, I am, they picked up stones to kill him because they knew he was making a claim. And the claim was he was divine. Now, plenty of people will try to tweak this and alter this and make Christ a great teacher or an exemplar or a cynic sage or a political revolutionary. But the beginning place is that he is God. And that he is fully divine, that he is God in the flesh. And this is utterly unique. This is wild and this is wonderful. Athanasius in his book on the incarnation of Jesus said this, There was thus two things which the Savior did for us by becoming man. He banished death from us, and he made us anew. And, and, invisible and imperceptible as in himself he is, he became visible through his works and revealed himself as the word of the Father, the ruler and the king of all creation. Jesus said what he was going to do, and he did what he said. He died graveyard dead, and he took that life back. He became the first fruits of all those that sleep, and he revealed himself to be the one through whom all things were created, the one for whom all things were created, the one who deserves first place.
in all things. This God-man Christ, utterly unique, is the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the gospel. And Paul will go on to say that this fully divine, fully human Christ is fully sufficient. He says, you have been made complete in him. This meaning Christ is the total hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. That Jesus is our hope and our stay. He's our future and our present. He is our life. Christ is our life, Paul would say. That he is fully sufficient. Any system minus Christ is a deficient system. It's part of the ABCs of the world. The elementary principles of this world. And any system that claims a version of Christ and then adds on to him is insufficient. Part of the ABCs of this world. Dressed in Sunday clothes. He's fully God. Fully human. Fully sufficient for life and godliness. So he moves from Christ and he talks about being in Christ. He moves from reminding them about who Christ is to reminding them who they are, who we are, if we know him by faith. And he gives them a couple of images. He says, I want to remind you of an unhandmade circumcision, a circumcision that was not made by hand. Not, not a religious rite performed only on the males, uh, but an unhandmade spiritual circumcision that happens in the hearts of anybody who places their trust and their life in the hands of a God who raised Jesus from the dead. And this is no New Testament invention. This is no Pauline peculiarity. This is in the heart of God from the very beginning and as part of the witness of the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is teaching God's people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 10, this is what we read beginning in verse 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you over all the other peoples as it is this day. So, verse 16, circumcise your heart and do not stiffen your neck any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great and mighty and the awesome God who does not show partiality or take a bribe, meaning you can't cut a deal with the Lord. He's God. If you look in our worship guide, there's a great passage of Scripture from Isaiah that tells you where God is. God is in the highest heavens. And he dwells in the lowest places. With the penitent, the repentant, the humble of heart. God is the Lord of lords and he is the master of the repentant. He dwells in glory and in the dirt with us. Therefore, we are to circumcise our hearts. 
Jeremiah would pick up on this and say something very similar in Jeremiah chapter 4. You read this in verse 3 and 4. For this is what the Lord says to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your uncultivated ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourself to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your hearts. Don't sow among thorns. Don't plant your life in the midst of the elementary principles of this world. But let your hearts grow tender before God and circumcise your heart before God that the one who is the Lord would be your Lord. He reminds them of their spiritual circumcision. He reminds them of their baptism. He says, you have been buried with Christ in baptism. You have been raised to walk in the newness of life. You have been raised to be with Jesus in a new life. I've been crucified with Christ, Paul would say. Nevertheless, I live. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Today, you saw too faithfully walk into the waters of baptism to proclaim their faith in the workings of God. When Alexis and Keyshawn went in there and we put them under the water, we put them into an environment that was inhospitable to life. Had we have left them under, there would have been a profound scandal in Waco, Texas. <laughs> because under the water, it's a grave. And we share in the grave of Jesus. And by his grace, we share in his resurrection. And this is the good news. Not that we've achieved something, not that we've overcome some kind of grand hurdle, but that we have been snatched up out of death and made alive because of the merits of Jesus, our baptism. And in our baptisms, we get this. We get forgiveness and the cancellation of a great debt, and we get victory as he makes a spectacle of the principalities and powers. He starts with the warning. But he spends the majority of the text reminding them of the gospel. And we need to be warned and we need to encourage each other to be alert. But we need to spend most of our time singing and praying and preaching and teaching and encouraging and sharing the gospel. Reminding each other who Christ is and who we are in Christ. But he did write to warn them. And so following this gospeling, he gives them two additional warnings. The second one is in verses 16 and 17, and that's this. Don't be judged. Don't be umpired. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food and drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are only a shadow of what was to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to to Christ. He said, look, there'll be people who want to umpire you about things that are added on to Jesus. Sometimes these elementary principles of the world wear Sunday clothes. And he starts off with that version of it because Paul himself had known that version of it. And he said, look, if people tell you that after you said, my hope is built on nothing less than Christ, they say, well, yeah, but if you want to be really holy, you got to follow this calendar. 
or you got to walk this, or you got to do this, or you got to do that, or da 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 da. He said, they're just being your umpires. They're being your judge. Don't let that happen. Uh, things have changed an awful lot in schools. You know, I, I think a lot of things have changed. Uh, schools are a lot safer in some ways and unsafe in other ways. But when I was a kid, it was not uncommon for the teacher to just leave the classroom for long periods of time. Did that ever happen in your classroom? I mean, that never happens today. Uh, but back in the day, it would happen oftentimes. The teacher got to go make some copies or something. And, 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 uh, and this is kind of the system that was worked out. When, when you were little, the teacher would say, would somebody like to take names? Do you remember this kid? I hope you weren't this kid. Uh, but you might, you might be this kid. I don't know. But there was always the kid who said, ooh, 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 ooh. I want to take names. And so that kid got a piece of paper and just stood in the front of the classroom and with beady eyes looked around to make sure. I mean, I'm not passing judgment. Yes, I am. I'm judging this one. And uh, I wanted that deep. He said, look, he said, look, he said, there's a lot of people who do life without Christ in a very religious kind of way. And they've got their list. They've got a checklist. And instead of adoring Christ and being connected to the head, and instead of worshiping God and serving the world, they're just going around taking names. That only works in the absence of the real authority. And the real authority in the church is not absent because the church is Christ and not ours. So he said, don't, don't be judged. And then the last one, 18 to 23, he says, take care that no one keeps defrauding you. Don't be cheated. Don't be defrauded. You of your prize by delighting in false humility and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding firmly to the head from whom the whole body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of this world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to the things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of man? These matters which do have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and humility and severe treatment of the body, but are no value, no value against fleshly indulgence. Their big deal was the worship of angels. That was, that was, their, that was their temptation. That was what was being peddled. You, 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 you can worship angels. And Christ was dethroned, and perhaps he was some emanation of an angelic being. Well, most of you aren't tempted to that, but the spirit of that is alive and well in the world. He says, look, the problem with this, this system is that their religion is headless. They have a system of religion and they're disconnected from the head, which is Christ. And all about us, there is headless religion. There is froth and philosophy and personality and cult of personality and church without Christ and not church without Christ and life without Christ and the ABCs of the world as we have it without Christ. And he says, look, I get it. 
This has an appearance of wisdom. Why? Why does it have an appearance of wisdom? Because it was the social imaginary. It was the water they were swimming in. It was the world. It made tons of sense. And it looked very helpful. But he said, don't be defrauded by that. It looks a lot like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. Don't be defrauded by that. We lived in Waco for about 10 years, and then it became time to sell and buy a new house. My kids had grown to the point where sharing a bathroom uh, was starting to break our family apart. And uh, so we needed more than anything, another lavatory sink and commode. And, uh, you know, the rates were good, but the things were climbing, so it was time to sell. Well, we, we, we sold, and we were ready to buy. And we were in between that time. We were staying out at Red Covington's Ranch. Uh, we, we had sold. We were ready to buy. We, we made the deal, and uh, we were about to go to the title company to, to turn over the largest check I'd ever seen in my young life. I mean, the equity in that house. I mean, we, we hit at the right time. I'd never seen a check. I never held that much money in my hands at one time. And some of you would laugh, thinking, oh, that's pretty tiny. For me, it was pretty big. Uh, on, on the night before we were to go to the title company and, and do the deal, uh, we started getting uh, emails. Meredith and I did emails. They said, hey, to expedite this process, instead of bringing the cashier's check like we talked about, why don't you just go ahead and wire, wire the money over? Uh, we'll get it through. A lot, a lot of closings right now. Things are busy. This would speed up the process. It just sounded weird. And it sounded weird because it was a fraud. We called the people involved and said, oh, no, we would never ask you to do that. Somebody had gone in and spoofed the email address of the title company, faked their logos in the emails. It looked so real. And it was so fake. And it was intended to hurt us. Intended to hurt us. Paul said, don't keep getting defrauded. A stuff that looks so real, that is so not real, that is intended to hurt you. When I was a child, our pastor used to quote the Phillips translation of Romans 12, 2. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. The elementary principles versus Christ. P.T. Forsyth said, if within us we find nothing that is over us, we will succumb to that which is around us. The elementary principles of this world versus the Christ. So my question for us today is, do you have faith in the working of God? And is that the foundation of your life? Have you personally trusted Jesus, the Christ, as your Lord and Savior? Is he the hope of your life? Is he your glory? And if you answer sincerely and honestly yes to that question, are you taking care? Are you taking care not to be kidnapped, not to be umpired, and not to be defrauded. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for being who you are and for doing what you do. And we thank you 
for the life-giving power of the word of Christ, for the gospel, and that we can, by your grace, have faith in you and your working, and that we can build our life on this day by day, moment by moment, week by week, year by year, until we see you face to face. Lord, I pray that you would stir us and strengthen us to live by your truth. Lord, I pray for uh, all those that are in this room, Lord, as you're working in our hearts. There's so many different ways to apply your message today. But, Lord, I pray for anyone here who senses that they need to confess their faith in you publicly. Perhaps to be baptized, to demonstrate the life that you have given them by grace. To join this church. Lord, as you work in our hearts, work in such a way that we are collectively strengthened, that our neighbors and the nations are blessed, and that we know the delight of your goodness. Lord, work in our hearts as we stand and sing and respond. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, and if you have made decisions in the privacy of your heart that you believe the Lord would have you make today publicly, we invite you to come uh, for your good and for his glory.